Hello and welcome to Inside the Artist Studio. My name is Sean Davis Newton, here as per usual for the Cups and Cakes Network. Today I'm uh, going to share an interview that I did just on uh, Wednesday of this week, which, geez, we can check my calendar right now. That would be the 23rd of March, so you're getting this one fresh. Uh, I, I talked to Art Deco from uh, Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, we talk about some upcoming shows that Art has at Big Winter Classic in Calgary and at Winteruption here in Edmonton, which I'm super excited to go see. We talk about uh, the great pizza at Soho, the venue where, uh, where they're playing on April 1st. We talk about uh, the sanctity and the magic of a demo recording. Uh, we talk about a brand new record that's coming up. Uh, which is as of yet unnamed. And uh, holy man, we talk a, just a lot about Pomodoro and tomatoes and, and cooking pasta. So I hope you're up for that. As per usual, there is some foul language in this episode. So listener beware. And of course, you can find other episodes of this podcast, as well as other audio, video, and written content over on the Cups and Cakes Network website. That's cupsandcakespod.com. One more time for everybody in the back, that's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Here's Art Deco. My name is Art Deco from Victoria, British Columbia. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for uh, for coming on to chat on Inside the Artist Studio. Uh, we're going to do a little rapid fire off the front and then uh, dive into some interview stuff, talk about uh, some singles you got uh, coming out and some shows you got coming up and uh, maybe touch on a little bit of new music. So uh, without uh, further ado, we'll dive right into the rapid fire here. Uh, do you have a, a specialty dish that you either cook or bake that people kind of associate with you? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I would say my specialty dish is, you know, just a good old fashioned uh, Pomodoro, like a tomato sauce, um, an ancient Italian recipe that was passed down uh, generation after generation, and it can be, you know, served with any sort of uh, noodle. Okay. But for me, it's a good like sp spaghetti or a penne or, you know, a gnocchi. I mean, anything really. But yeah, it's a nice basic Italian style pomodoro sauce. What makes a pomodoro like different from just a standard tomato sauce or is it or is that basically just the correct name for a standard tomato sauce yeah i mean it's a bit fancier so like you know it's uh it, like i'd get really nice vine ripened uh aromas and i kind of you know blanch them slip them out of their skins peel the seeds out you know uh steep into olive oil like tons of basil and garlic and chili peppers and um and then use the oil to kind of cook down the tomatoes for hours and a little bit of red wine and Parmesan Reggiano. It's like, it's very, very, very simple, but incredibly delicious. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that sounds like the vocabulary of somebody who knows what they're doing, uh, cooking wise, or do you, do you like, are you somebody who likes to cook? Is that like a fun thing for you? Oh yeah. Let's like, I mean, this podcast can quite quickly turn into like a food one if we're not careful so yeah 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 let's just say uh uh i think cooking and and music go sort of hand in hand you know 
You got to like feed your, 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 uh, your bandmates when you're in the studio. It's all about um, taking turns who's going to cook for whom. And when you're on the road, uh, sometimes if we stay in the Airbnb, I'll like cook for the band. But yeah, um, that was kind of, that's kind of like one of my first passions is food. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, or do you, do you prefer tea or coffee? Uh, coffee, but tea, I mean, it's 50, 50. It depends what time of day, you know? Yeah. Or does caffeine tend to bother you? Like, does that, can you easily overdo it on caffeine or are you usually pretty safe? Um, no, I mean, I think like there's been a few nights where I've woken, uh, you know, with like woken up in the middle of the night with like a flop sweat. And I think I'm on the verge of a heart of a cardiac event, but, um, yeah. Uh, and then I think back like, oh yeah, I had like, uh, like one of those large guyaki kind of like enlightenment, uh, teas and a couple of iced Americanos. And then, you know, the coffee was brewing at seven in the morning, which woke me up and I had half a pot of that. So yeah, you gotta be careful with the caffeine. Um, so in those type of situations, yep, you gotta, you gotta kind of cut back and maybe lean on some, uh, uh, I don't know, some herbal tea with some fresh ginger. Yeah. Uh, what's the weirdest job you've ever had? Um, I don't really have, haven't had too many weird jobs. It's been like a pretty linear line from like, um, I guess like mowing lawns and babysitting the neighborhood kids uh, before you're kind of even old enough to, to hold down a job. I'd say in the pre kind of like, before I was 16 or 15 and actually legally able to work, I did have a weird job. I was a bat boy for like this AAA kind of like local baseball men's league team. Okay. And um, like a friend of mine was like, hey, apparently, you know, if you just hang out at like the, the baseball park, um, you know, uh, they'll, they'll hire you and essentially you, you just fetch like the bats and stuff. And then at the end of the night, you go, go into the dressing room and they pass like a hat around and put like a loony or a toonie in there. And, uh, and you, uh, you, you get to keep the money and you can make like a whole bunch. Like I made like $18 the other game. <laughs> and, and so like I did that and I hung around and, um, one day my friend didn't show up and I just like, I basically took over his job as like <laughs> the summer bat boy until the team like lost horrendously once and then i was just like the receptacle for like a bunch of verbal abuse in the dressing room and i like you know hopped on my bmx home rode it home crying with tears streaming down my face oh, with like man. no money in my pockets i i will say it it kind of demonstrates my distance from the sporting world that you said bat boy and i was like oh man cool you got to work with bats oh <laughs> <laughs> Which, right yeah yeah I figured it out pretty quick but <laughs> yeah i mean it was like i think working as as young as as soon as you're you know if you're able-bodied and stuff getting a job um no matter how crappy it is how, however old you are like it's it's it was like character building you know for sure i think yeah, i might have yeah. been like 10 or like 11 like 12 11 years old yeah certainly definitely way too young to be working but i was you know i was a little hustler we didn't have much money growing up so i, I had to go and make my own if i wanted to like go to hmv and buy cds and whatnot yeah yeah what's the uh what's the first car you ever owned uh, if any 
1984 Chrysler New Yorker, and I bought it off of my friend's um, it just got passed around from friend to friend and it had like a digital, um, voice thing, like alarm thing, like that would spout off like a door is a jar or like your <laughs> engine oil pressure is low prompt service required. And everybody would just like laugh hysterically when I would drive it around. Cause the passenger front door was always a jar and then eventually it just wouldn't open. So if you sat shotgun, you would have to roll down the windows just to leave, like to kind of crawl out of the car. <laughs> um, the lure seats, you know, the yeah. the the driver's seat, like was permanently reclined a bit because the spring <laughs> was like broken. So I would, I mean, totally safe, obviously, to drive around <laughs> without like a seat behind you in case you know you ever had to get whiplash or whatever. Um, yeah, it was just a brutal car, but I drove that around for like six months. And then one day I was downtown at a traffic stop and a cop car, you know, put up the cherries and pulled me over. And they're like, they gave me a citation because I was polluting too much. Like my, my clearly like the engine was like burning oil. Yeah. So uh, I uh, took it to Canadian Tire and they're like, uh, you know, your uh, car is like, it's a miracle it's even working. So um, <laughs> there's no point fixing this. Uh, you're just gonna have to take it to the dump. So yeah, that was my first car. Yeah. I always feel uh, my, my older brother crashed several cars when I was growing up. And so every time I ask this question, it's always kind of like uh, it feels anticlimactic when there is no dramatic end <laughs> to a car. Just uh, <laughs> I know I drove several cars that eventually just slowed down and stopped and never started again. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the case, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unless, I mean... You know, unless you're a 16-year-old boy in a small town in the prairies, in which case, you know, you're driving. You're driving at 12. Yeah, yeah. You're you're driving until until your car is a chunk of metal. But uh, <laughs> just like Fred Flintstone, you're just like your feet are are, are permanently moving underneath it. <laughs> uh, if you could put together a, uh, a a lineup of let's say like three bands and uh, book them at a at a club you like going to uh what's uh, what kind of bands would you pick uh, like are are do these bands i mean to be fair let's set up some boundaries because obviously okay. like uh david bowie 1973 <laughs> uh you know, like let's like no time machines involved like ones that are active right now yeah let's say let's say no time machines involved <clears throat> no time machines involved i would i mean i mean i would put in the horrors deer hunter and um i'd love to see um kate lebon oh yeah do you have a, a favorite place to go see music in victoria is there like uh one venue that you find yourself kind of going to hang out at more than most others well there's like a couple i mean there's lucky bar for if you want like a hundred and fifty, two hundred cap room, high stage, long and narrow. Yeah. Then there's the capital. There's like the capital ballroom, which is like a five or six hundred cap room, and then uh, beyond that, there's like a couple of theaters. Um. So truly, not the most. Uh. You know, not 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 too many options, but um. Right. Every September. 
uh, there's there's Rifflandia Music Festival, and that's kind of been a like all sort of a hallmark of the Victoria music scene. And every, I mean, pre COVID, it was like a thing for many many years where it'd be like during the day on the weekend, the Royal Athletic Park outdoors, like I don't know, eight thousand people, two stages, and then at night all the nighttime venues, little tiny bars, little kind of DIY spaces would turn into you know places to play music, and that. Anything kind of in that weekend, seeing any band uh, outdoor, indoor is always like a, f- a real fun time. So, yeah, that's kind of like what Victoria is sort of known for in terms of live music. Is there a social media account that you follow that that brings you some joy when you uh, scroll past it? Um, Catatonic Youths was, uh, I, I think they got shut down they keep getting shut down but that that one if you're a musician i'm sure you've heard of it is pretty pretty funny it's like really embarrassing curated videos of um just silly dumb stuff like musicians do that one always puts a smile on my face i've been watching um in, I think it's indie sleaze. It's like someone curating <laughs> a bunch of like 2002 to 2010 like indie rock throwback photos. Like you'll see like a young Lily Allen and Mark Ronson or like the Strokes like all skinny and high and drunk at like the Mercury Lounge. And it's like a total definitely targeted for someone my age who <laughs> fondly remembers the kind of the meet me in the bathroom years of like yeah, yeah. indie rock. Do you prefer sports, board games, or video games? I'm not a gamer, so scratch that off. <laughs> when it comes to sports, I mean, I'm a Canuck fan. Um, I grew up playing a little bit of minor hockey. I can get into sports. I can get into like anything that's like of a pro or high caliber, especially if there's like, um, you know, I'll tell you what, let's amalgamate two of them. It like for the Super Bowl, we played squares. You know, you put like little bets on what the score might be. Oh yeah. Immediately, immediately interested in the Super Bowl. I mean, aside from the <laughs> halftime show, I was immediately interested uh from like for like the times that weren't the halftime show. Sports, yeah, I I would give an advantage to sports, but I'm not like you know, following all sports all the time. I'm not in into any like fantasy things or like, you know, but games, games are fun too. Love, love some, um, some card games, some poker, some chess. Um, my fiance and I, we always play sequence, which is a fun little game. Oh, yeah, okay. I like them both. Do you, do you chase down like card games that are you know, uh, off the beaten track or, or are you kind of like an old standards type person? Um, I mean, good question. Poker is obviously fun with your pals to just, you know, drink some beers and shoot. Can we swear on this? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah shoot. the. Sh- I was going to say shoot the shit, uh, <laughs> you know, chew the fat, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, I don't really, t- I don't really, uh, I'm not really a crib person i know a crib is really really fun but i mean look if i'm out you know in an environment like um i was gonna say camping i haven't really gone camping in years but like at a cabin or like you know away with friends and there's not much to do i can get into some some board games and card games sure yeah 
Uh, do you have a hobby or pastime that uh, people might consider a little unexpected or uh, something you surprised yourself with an interest in? Magic, magic tricks. Okay. <laughs> What's uh, uh, is, has that yeah. been going for a while or is that? A... Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When I was like, I think I got into, I mean, magic and music were like my first, I, I still, I'm obsessed with magic. I love um, there's this, there's this guy, Chris Ramsey on YouTube and he's a magician and he's, he's a puzzle solver. So he solves puzzles on anywhere from like a skill set one to 10. And they're like physical puzzles. Like, you know, the object of this puzzle is to get the metal ball out of the, you know, the ring of blah, blah, blah. And it would be right. like this totally well machine um, you know, well-machined piece of metal that's like twisted and it'll be, you know, you shake it. And then if you like tilt it in a certain way, a ball will fall into a divot inside, which will move like a fulcrum, which will, it's like totally <laughs> these like really intricate puzzles. And, and it's like that kind of thing really fascinates me. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you have like a collection of those types of things or... I've got a few, um, but to be honest, like watching his show, he kind of, he sort of like reveals the the secrets of the trade, if you will. So right. um, once you solve the puzzle, like he, he can solve any puzzle, like literally in an hour or less, no matter how difficult they are. And people will constantly send him stuff to solve. Um, so I, uh, yeah, he's he, he's sort of revealed the secrets of how to like, uh, um, take apart these little contraptions and it's kind of made them uh, less enjoyable as a result. <laughs> but a good old-fashioned magic show, I mean, I'm sold. Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I think that's something that it's easy to get kind of cynical about. And then you go to see like a, a magician who's like very good and all of a sudden it's just the most amazing thing you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, did you see the Derek Del... Gaudio, Guadio, he uh in and of itself is his um show. It was off Broadway. It is mind blowing. I think Stephen Colbert produced uh they he he saw it and he was like, You need to put this like we need to film this and put this on like Netflix. Yeah. So I think you can watch watch it. It's super cool. It's like like really reinvents what an illusionist is capable of through storytelling and and the tricks are like so crazy. Um, yeah, it, highly recommend it. That it, one was like mind blowing to me. It's funny. I was going to ask if you'd seen that cause I, I actually haven't, but I have, uh, heard a lot of really, really great things about it. So I'll, uh, yeah, mark that down on my list. Do it. Uh, is there a, is there an album that spurred your love of music? Um, I mean the f earliest, yeah, there was like this. I mean, not to sound super like quirky or esoteric or whatever, but like when I was really young, um, we moved across Canada from Ottawa to, to Victoria and all of the records that my parents had, most of them got damaged and the ones that survived for some reason were like all classical music. And okay. there was that there was this like Arthur Rubinstein presents or performs like Beethoven. And it was like side one was the three movements of Moonlight Sonata. And I think I was like six, six, seven years old. And I remember hearing that and being like so blown away. The first movement is the kind of iconic one. And there's like a really 
fun upbeat second one and then the third movement is like like van halen shredding on the piano type of thing (laughs) and so between the shredding and the beautiful kind of moody brooding kind of minor key first movement i was like sold i was like i need to learn how to play this and uh i think that kind of you know drove me into this obsessive um sort of journey to figure out how the sausage is made musically i just wanted to learn yeah any and all piano do you still listen to much classical music is that something you dive into um yeah yes and no i mean it's it's great in uh in the background or if i'm you know just need a like a nice little palate cleanser and you know i've been leaning towards um a lot of like jazz music lately and and like okay. specifically like 50s jazz and and sort of replacing uh classical in that cor- in in sort of my life with with jazz cuz i'd avoided jazz for so many years uh, and classical music specifically piano music and sonatas and nocturnes and that kind of filled my void and now i'm i've just i've burnt it out so much that uh jazz kind of fills that void for me it's like rediscovering okay. or discovering for the first time like a genre you know yeah yeah well uh we've got one question left here on the rapid fire side of things uh is there a uh band or artist that's kind of young up-and-comers uh that you want to give a shout out to that you really like uh really like what they're doing right now we were just down at south by southwest and um there's this young band out of New York called Geese that are really kind of exciting. And I mean, they're super young, but like, man, are they so like crazy talented and probably a, probably a good, like five to 10 years more advanced than I was at that age, you know, <laughs> just their collective chops and their sort of maturity so yeah they're they're definitely a band to watch i mean there are they're just going on tour with spoon and jack white so i mean um they're certainly not um a baby band they're they're definitely well on their way yeah that's a that's quite a lineup (laughs) um like just playing with either of those bands is is yeah quite quite an accomplishment for some young young folks totally well, uh, let's pivot on over then into the kind of second half of things here. Um, I, I, I guess right off the bat, um, what has life looked like under the pandemic for you? Like, how, how has that kind of gone? Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of gone the same, way, uh, same way for a lot of people, a lot of frustration and um, fear and stress. And <laughs> I mean, I've, hopefully channeled that into some um some cool music and some art and making you know making my songs in my little home studio (laughs) and now it's uh starting to open up and we just came back from a little tour of the u.s and um it feels um like things are sort of trending in the right direction and that's not to discount all the pain and suffering that a lot of people have uh, felt and have had to live through and yeah, I mean the last two years, like they sucked ass for everybody. Um, but I'm I'm kind of like I'm moving I'm moving forward with my life and I'm forcing myself to to think positive about uh where things are headed, I guess. 
I don't really even want to talk about the last two years, to be honest. It's like, <laughs> I just like, it kind of just gives me like a weird crusty gag in the back of my throat. Like, oh, pandemic talk, like next, you know, <laughs> like I'm so over it. <laughs> I'm actually not yeah, over yeah. it. Actually, you know, I got COVID when I was in the States. So I'm, uh, I'm just coming off of my first, uh, my first bout of the vid, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, um. I'm fairly certain I had it at the beginning of January because me and my girlfriend both got just horribly ill for like a week. And at that point we couldn't really access testing, mm. but it was like, yeah, it's, it's no fun. It sucks. Um, did, did you have to move around any like tour plans or anything or did you kind of get lucky and catch it we near got, the end? Well, we got lucky. Um, we yeah i mean without getting into too many of the gory details but we um i we're all triple vaxxed and fortunately it's been very mild i mean i've got a little bit of a sore throat um but uh yeah a couple of the guys in the band we all got it and tested positive like the day we got back type of thing so yeah um that it's been and i'm already feeling like probably tomorrow or the next day i'll be like 100 percent fine yeah, yeah. So, uh, you have a record that came out about a year ago now, um, and you are uh, prepping some new music. Um, it it seems to me, at least, like that's a you're you're working at an accelerated pace. Um, what's uh what's behind the big like uh pr- productive period? I guess what's uh. Uh, how, how has that gone? I suppose. No, uh, I mean, it's, uh, I, uh, I mean, the album cycle seems to get shorter and shorter and shorter as people's, um, you know, appetites for music, appetite for content and music increases yeah. and the accessibility of new music is just everywhere all the time. And I feel like, you know, um, the challenge is twofold. It's like, how do I, you know, keep up with with everyone else that's putting out great music all the time? How do I remain relevant and in the picture? And how do I also challenge myself to continue to write better uh, music and different music? And uh, given the fact that we couldn't tour for the last two years, um, you know, what what else was I going to do? Like there's only yeah. so many, there's only so many fucking pomodoros I can uh, vacuum seal and throw <laughs> in my freezer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's only so many, um, you know, uh, Chris Ramsey videos of him solving a nine out of ten uh, metal <laughs> puzzle of a trapeze with a stainless steel yeah. ball that he's got to remove. Um, so, you know, in between those kind of high highlights of my week, um. I got this studio here with all the these instruments and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, people have already forgotten about in standard definition, like um, as many little personal breakthroughs that we had commercially with the album, it's still, you know, once, th- once you're kind of kicked out of rotation on FM radio and blogs stop interviewing you and covering you. And it's like, you're not out on the road constantly, you know, 
P.T. Barnum and Bailey style, like roaming <laughs> circus show. Like you're not moving yeah. through towns and having the luxury of being relevant via touring. Um, I was like, shit, I'm like, I-, I got all these demos. I've got all these ideas. I, I don't want them to rot on the vine. I need to kind of like cultivate this. And so I just immediately started demoing and then, you know, went into the studio and uh, the the band that kind of backs me up and plays with me are, we're, we're game to uh, go into, you know, Deco, I guess 3.0 or 4.0, depending yeah. on <laughs> how long you look at the, the, the sort of history of my music output. Do you like to uh, demo stuff while you're writing it, or do you generally separate those two processes? Well, the demoing process, so there's like a couple different iterations. There's like the, you know, sitting down at the piano, or, you know, you're just kind of like picking up the guitar because you're bored, you're waiting for that uh, those tomatoes to to uh, to steep. <laughs> yeah to simmer i'm gonna keep going back to this tomato sauce rep. <laughs> this is this is the gift that keeps on giving um you know or like you know the cabs are coming in five minutes you know whatever it is and you just you reach for an instrument there's so many of them in the house and you know uh i might hum something and not even thinking about it it just might be three four chords or a chord or a melody or something i'll go huh maybe i'll pull up my phone hit play bank it and then i've got this bank of these non sequitur melodies and ideas and and when i in earnest want to kind of pull out the you know recording console and and plug in and put up a drum loop i'll revisit some of those scraps those sketches and i'll see okay the ones that i really maybe the sketch is in my brain all night maybe we go out for dinner uh maybe i'm going for a walk or we go you know, something as mundane as grocery shopping and it, it's still stuck in my head. That one little 30 second pull out the phone and the guitar and I'm humming that melody and it's it's on my brain all the time. I'm like, okay, this is that annoying earworm. It's bothering me to the point where I got to turn this into a song. So that's kind of how the things sort of, sort of start. And then the they'll go from that and they'll transpose themselves and they'll morph into you know as soon as you lay down a drum beat maybe it's it's sped up maybe now it's slowed down it now has like a little bit of um a backbeat to it and i'll plug in the bass and i'll get all funky with it and then now it's gone from this like gibberish sung thing into a crusty little microphone on my phone to now it's like blossomed into a bit of a demo and i'll chip away at it you know it's like a piece of wood that you just whittle into a little statue and eventually it's like a fully formed demo and then that's when I presented to the band and it might take on another life form in the studio because you know the guys that I play with are way better at the individual instruments um that I'm kind of scrappy and putting down in a scratch demo so yeah it it takes on different little iterations and um you know, along the way, I might get inspired by like a certain sound or a certain instrument. And I'll be like, oh, instead of, a, you know, a saxophone playing that melody, maybe this new keyboard I got will play it. Or maybe I'll have right. a bunch of backup singers play it. So you're constantly playing around with the arrangement to sort of reinvent what you think is the idea of your song. 
Do you enjoy recording a lot? Like, is that something that you've done for other people even? Or or is that mostly like a, a means to an end for your own No, music? I love it. I'm, I'm very much a, a recording. Um, no, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. I'm, I co-produced everything that I've worked on. And then I fully 100% produced the latest Art Echo album. And yeah, the right down to the engineering and... Um, I mean, that was, uh, that was my number one hobby in, in the last couple of years is just like taking every online course, every magazine, every, I mean, I just became obsessive about, you know, recording music and wanting yeah, to, apl- yeah. I got to apply it to my own, to my own shit, which is like, the, which is like the fun part. Um, and I don't fancy myself a, you know, a pro audio engineer, but I can definitely hang with the engineers and use the (laughs) i can definitely talk and and articulate as a producer songwriter what it is i need to hear and where we need to get you know the the sounds to um if not being able to get there on my own but um mixing is definitely something i don't fancy myself or mastering is you know a complete far distant galaxy that i don't really wish to (laughs) take my little sound machine too but yeah, yeah producing engineering songwriting they kind of all go hand in hand and it's a lot of experimentation a lot of um you know you have to be obsessive about it and work work hard at it because it's uh it's it's a science you know i'm i'm always curious just because uh like both i i've experienced this and i've had a few other interviews where this kind of thing comes up but i i feel like when you get used to recording and arranging, particularly with demos, um, has the way that you bring those demos to other musicians or other producers to collaborate on that stuff, has the way that you work on those demos changed in terms of working with, with other people on them? Yeah, like when I first, the first album I released called Day Fevers <clears throat> six years ago, I started writing those songs probably in about 2013, 14. I knew nothing about recording music. I was like, I had like GarageBand on my iPhone. I was living in the Gulf Islands. I had no access to studios or musicians. So my demos were atrociously (laughs) lo-fi, like banging on a kitchen cutting board with chopsticks for the drum beat and you know, everything was out of phase with it itself. And I was, you know, it was just like a blown out, very DIY um, aesthetic. And it was not the final product. It was like, it was, there's something kind of charming and exciting about doing a scratch ghetto blaster, you know, 80s, 90s style demo where it's just, it's like, if you listen to old, like grunge band demos or like a Weezer demo from like the Blue Album or you know, yeah. a nevermind like Nirvana demo. Like it's like, you know, it just sounds like absolute <laughs> ass. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And I can see like a producer getting like really excited about that because it's this really unrefined uh, idea that, that is there's something there and it will take some arranging. It'll take some sculpting, but we'll, we'll, we'll make it a hit or we'll make it something cool. And that was kind of my process with the first album and a little bit with the second album. I started, you know, I started figuring out how to use Logic and I had invested in like a, a digital audio workstation and I was learning how to, 
you know, work a compressor for the first time. So Trespasser was the demos were a lot more fully formed and had a more strong, a stronger vision of where I wanted to go. And then within standard definition, the demos were, uh, you know, light years ahead because I had way more practice with yeah. the recording process. And with this new album, um, which shall remain nameless because I, I don't think we're <laughs> really there yet in the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was, uh, you know, you could, there was, there were a lot of elements from the demos that I literally clicked and dragged into the final version of the song. And we would, you know, run them through the tape machine and get them all zhuzhed up to make them sound, uh, uh, a little less uh, janky, but yeah, they're they're it's it, every iteration of Art Deco. You can definitely hear the songwriting change and the production value change, and it it started with the demos just getting a lot better and more fully formed. Do you ever uh, have you had any issues with I guess clinging to things from the demo just because you get used to hearing it that way uh people would refer to this as demoitis um is that uh a struggle yeah. at all i i'm gonna i'm i i wish my the, the band was here to hear that question because they would all point their fingers at me like the spider-man <laughs> meme and they would be like oh yeah this guy no i do have demoitis but i mean i'm i'm a singular vision i'm you know art deco is yeah, yeah. me it's my name on the front door of this restaurant you know so if the pomodoro <laughs> sucks and i get a one-star yelp review i gotta get i i have to bear that responsibility so yeah um, yeah i um i'm very um you know i'm very, i i work really hard at at trying to source out what it is i'm trying to say and how i'm trying to say it and how that sonic message is delivered and so uh, the first couple albums I did, I worked with a producer um, and then in standard definition in this latest album, I decided to kind of uh, take the reins myself because I wanted to kind of, um, I, I wanted to be in more, be in control of the message and, right. um, you know, warts and all, whether you like the sound or not, at least I, I can take, I can put, I can take responsibility for that. Um, there's obviously a lot of players and a lot of collaborators that come in there. I mean, you know, Mark Lawson mixed my latest album, uh, Colin Stewart co-produced my last album and mixed it. So there's definitely some choice, um, trustworthy tastemakers uh, and player, everybody that plays on the album, you know, they're not going to um, um, play something shitty. Uh, they'll they'll tell me <laughs> if it's something's wonky or weird, and and I yeah. love that. I love that debate, you know. And I think that in those kind of heated moments where we're arguing over like whether a snare needs more one K or whether uh, you know the slap echo on the uh, you know the rhythm guitar needs to come down a bit, like those kind of those battles, like if I ever lose them, it's because I'm maybe leaning too much on a demo that's been, you know, rendered kind of a, th a demo by the final right. project. And so like the musicians will kind of gang up and they'll be like, you have demo-itis. Like we're, we're way past that <laughs> demo with this, with just even the groove is different now. So you can't rely on that. And, you know, we'll have a laugh about it. And eventually I'll say, yeah, you guys are right. <laughs> 
So uh, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about uh, you're you're taking off to play a couple festivals in Alberta here. Uh, I'm not sure if there are dates outside of Alberta that are part of this kind of run, but you're going to be at uh, Big Winter Classic in Calgary, and then uh, Winter Option. What's uh, what what does the touring band look like at this point? Yeah, so uh, Winter Option is uh, I believe first. It's going to be April first playing Soho Bar in Edmonton, really looking forward to getting back to Edmonton. Um, and then, yeah, the next day, big, big winter classic in Calgary. I think we're playing Broken City super late. Okay. Um, closing that night. But the band, um, we've got Malcolm uh, Holt on drums. He's played in a bunch of Vancouver bands for years, um, including like Fake Shark and um, Blonde Diamond and a bunch of others. Um, Pascal on bass and they've got like a long history. They've got like a kind of like those, um, you know, like identical twins, how we'll just be able to like speak in code to each other. They kind of have that in the rhythm section and then newly added on rhythm guitar. We've got Evan. Um, he's kind of like a, um, he's toured with a, like tourist company and current swell and a bunch of other bands. And then on the other guitar, we've got Connor Head, who's a really good engineer. He runs a studio called Catalog Studios in Victoria. Um, he plays with a bunch of different bands, including uh, Diamond Cafe and Pastel Blank. And um, he's like a total Swiss Army knife, can play just about any instrument. Um, yeah, it's a good group. We had a blast um, in New York uh, on the East Coast for a little bit of um, for the for about a week doing like Philly and DC. And then we had like new Colossus yeah. festival in New York. And then we flew to Austin for a week and played a bunch of shows at South by. And it went, went really, really well. We, uh, you know, feel like we were gone for a year. It was only two weeks, you know? <laughs> so, uh, this is a super quick tangent, but while you're at Soho, some of the best pizza in Edmonton, it's very, very good. Well worth trying. <laughs> um, uh, that's a, I'm glad you said that. And you know, we, uh, we ate a lot of fucking pizza on this tour. Everywhere, <laughs> I what I've learned about pizza in North America is every place has like a regional take. There's Detroit yeah. pizza. There's Windsor pizza, which to me, sorry Windsor, tastes like Detroit pizza. Or maybe I should apologize to Detroit pizza because they're the ones who claim their square rectangular pizzas are the best. Both are great. Yeah. Chicago obviously has its own pizza. New York, I mean creme de la creme in my opinion and then you yeah. got like connecticut style pizza dc pizza there's like you know in austin they had this place that claimed to be the best pizza i mean it's like you guys already claim to have the best barbecue and tacos so <laughs> um you know getting a little greedy on the foodie but um yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i'm a fan i'll i'll fuck with some edmonton pizza yeah, I, I will say Soho is like a good New York style pizza. It's like, you know, it's massive, pretty thin slices. Uh, Alberta style pizza, because there is such a thing, is pretty bad. It's the, you know, if you get a slice of pizza where there's like a thin little layer of dough and then there's like eight layers of the worst sandwich meat you've ever eaten. Ugh. and then a, And then a lot of cheese on top. It's, uh, it's sad, but Soho's good. It's not like that. So <laughs> good. Well, um, um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. And and uh, uh, for any of your listeners, um, if they would like to uh, come to either of those shows and and steer us into uh, 
a different direction. Maybe there's some hidden place in Edmonton or Calgary that has even better pizza. Totally Absolutely. down for that debate. Totally yeah. down for that debate. You know? <laughs> uh, so as, as we're getting to the end of things here, I would, Im- I would imagine that a lot of the kind of uh, hectic, uh, shall we say, touring schedule of the past uh, month or two is owing to this uh, new and as of yet unnamed record that's coming out. Um, we're going to feature uh, one of the tracks off that record at the end of this episode, I believe, Palm Slave. Um, it, do you want to talk about, I guess, that song and what makes it like a, a great single for the record that's coming up? Sure. Um, I mean, I don't really know. It's sort of um, sort of a, like an outlier to the album so it, to your to your question it's probably not the best single <laughs> but there's a lot of really um really there's like a lot of like uh poppy i don't want to say poppy moments but let's say accessible songs on the album like we're talking like a three minute um this is definitely a verse this is definitely a chorus um kind of hands in the air throw back to your youth type right um you know songs on the album and this one has like a very sinister edge to it and it's like you know it's about you know the dangers of like being seduced into a cult and um you know i just wanted to kind of lead off with something a bit more murky and a bit more sinister and uh, a little bit more spazzy before (laughs) we start hitting people over the head with like shit that's maybe like a little bit more obvious and a little bit more accessible so yeah that was like my reasoning and um you know we're playing a lot of new songs live um a lot of the new album definitely translating live and it was really fun to see everything kind of it's you know there's like four albums of content in the art deco catalog to kind of pull from and uh it's like very heavily weighted in the last like year or so and it's kind of satisfying to to r.i.p some old songs and this one uh (laughs) unfortunately hasn't made it into the set list yet only because um we don't have a live sax player full-time yet in the band and it's right i just kind of feel weird there's such a crazy sax solo on on the recording i would feel weird if that was like canned in a backing track well uh as uh, as you know what actually one last question before we wrap up I changed my mind um well, how do you think your priorities have shifted musically between that last record um and this one like between in standard definition and this one like what do you mean priorities yeah i i guess like choices to um aim for a certain type of sound or a certain type of uh, mood or aesthetic um, like are, are are you moving forward in some way I guess or are you refining something that you uh, have kind of hit on that you like if, if I know it's all a bit opaque but hmm. well I mean I, I, I mean I've anybody's followed me for for the last at least couple months or longer, they'll notice definitely a change in how I look, which is <laughs> for sure probably yeah. a, the biggest thing. I mean, for the last six years, I've been wearing hiding behind like a costume and and really leaning into like glam and and um, you know new romantic and makeup. And I um, I just uh, yeah, I just I woke up one day 
in like not too long ago and I thought the next time I play a show I'm just going to be I'm just going to be me. I don't want to I don't want to wear this anymore. I don't want to look like this anymore. I want to kind of strip that out. It's 2022 that statement of, you know, that challenging the artifice of like masculinity and you know right. that kind of deep V throaty kind of hard rock edge that was like really common in like alt rock in 2015 2016 i was rebelling against that and i'm i'm not that person anymore i don't need to do that anymore it's a different world um being androgynous and and sort of like gender neutral like the there's it that has serious implications and i feel like a trespasser in that in that world it's not um really me anymore and i don't really need to 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 use that or or embody that to to sell my art so the new version of art deco is um i guess a lot more 60s a lot more modster a lot more uh you know suit and tie a lot more you know mid 30s which is feels more (laughs) honest to me and and you know i'm i'm probably entering my like peter gabriel so era or like Bowie let's dance era. And I'm totally fine with that. Perfect. Well, uh, geez, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a real fun time chatting with you. Um, we're going to play a song now that's called, uh, Palm slave from art deco from, a, a forthcoming and as of yet unnamed and kind of on the down low record that, uh, that y'all should, Keep uh, keep your ears out for if that's an expression. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. But uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much again. Thanks for having me.
When I got nothing on my mind. Inside the Artist Studio is produced by Sean Davis Newton for the Cups and Cakes Network. The featured track, Palm Slave, was played with permission from Art Deco. Thanks to Laundry Week for the use of their song, Nothing on My Mind, from the Grimpy EP, as both our intro and outro music. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's cups, letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening.